Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No matter what time of day it is or where you're located, right here and right now, you are with me, Laura Paget, on my podcast, Living What You're Given. And we are in a series in Living What You're Given called Choices. We're exploring different ways to see things, how to find different information. Sometimes we have to make a new choice or change a choice we've already made. And sometimes it's just a matter of, hmm, if I only knew. friends, and welcome back into Living What You're Given. Today, I have a guest from all the way across the pond and the other pond and another pond as we go to Perth, Australia, to introduce you to my friend Rodney Olson. Hi, Rodney. Hello. So good to be speaking to you. It's so good to see you. It's amazing. Zoom brings us all together around the world. (laughs) And the first thing I always do, Rodney, is I always thank my musician who provides the music for this particular podcast. We're in a series called Choices. And I think that that particular song that is being used is called If You Only Knew. And my personal belief is We may make different choices if we only knew, but there's so many things we need to know, and maybe it can shape the way we see ourselves, our world, each other, and we can make life a little bit better all the way around. So thank you, Mr. Stephen Ray Watts from the band Zero, for letting us use that song in this series. Folks, I want to tell you some stuff about Rodney. He's a pretty impressive guy. He has a lot of years in radio, and he also has a podcast that we're going to be talking about called Bleeding Daylight. He is a husband, a father, a cyclist, a blogger, and a podcaster. Over his years in radio, he has, and also in his podcast, he's interviewed hundreds of people from different walks of life, and he loves sharing their stories, their struggles, their victories, and they are inspirational. Believe me, I listen to this podcast, and I'm always very intrigued and also inspired by the stories that are coming across. He talks to people all over the world, and I've heard him on several podcasts being interviewed One of the things about Rodney is he has a wonderful love for cycling, and he cycled across Australia six times, as well as across Canada, and he's made two trips to cycle in India. He's married to Pauline, and they have two adult children, Emily and James. Emily 
is heard on his podcast as she does the introduction to his podcast called Bleeding Daylight. And what she says in that intro is wherever there are shadows, there are people who are ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. These are stories of people kicking against the darkness to make our world better. Rodney himself, since 2013, has done his own kicking against the darkness of childhood poverty, and he's going to explain that work to us. So again, welcome in, Rodney, and thanks for being here. It's my absolute pleasure. Well, you know, when I've heard you talk, you've had to explain where Perth is, and I'm very familiar with it. I've never been to Australia, but I'm pretty crazy about all shows Australian. If I can get them on BBC Australia, I do. And lots of them refer to Perth. So it's in the western part of Australia, yeah? Yeah, it's a very isolated capital city. It's the capital of Western Australia, so isolated from the rest of Australia and from most other places. Uh, But I guess that's part of what makes Perth and Western Australia unique is that we are so far removed from everywhere else. Things are just a, a little bit different. So we are very much Australian, but at the same time, just a little bit different too. So that's the advantage of living all the way in this isolated city of Perth in Western Australia. Do you have a kind of a slower pace of life or would you say it's a little bit slower, a little bit more mellow, or is that just, you know, it's a city too. So maybe not. I would say that it is like, we don't have the, the bigger populations of places like Sydney or Melbourne, uh, other cities on the East coast of Australia, but I guess we do have that slower pace. We have beautiful white sandy beaches. We just have this relaxing atmosphere. And even though the population of the city is over 2 million people, there's still this sense that it's a place that is just like a a very large country town in some ways. I mean, we're, we're outgrowing that to some degree, but it is still a very relaxed place overall. I love that. I love that. Our little town is kind of like that, although it's not two million. It's I think we're at twenty five thousand in in my little western town on the west side of what we call the Continental Divide. In uh, so I'm in western Colorado. You know, Rodney, you and I met in the uh, Christian Podcasters Association, and I was really blessed to be on your show uh, a while back talking about my personal struggles with kicking against the darkness of a past defined by alcoholism and abuse in my family of origin. And as we, as I have listened to the stories on your podcast, I have really been impressed with the variety of people that you know and that you invite in. And I wonder, before we go into that, if you could talk about the title, Bleeding Daylight, where it comes from, please. A lot of people wonder about that. They think it's a very odd title. And it actually comes from uh, quite an old song. There are some listeners that will have heard of Bruce Coburn. Mm -hmm. He's a much older gentleman these days, but Canadian singer-songwriter who had a number of hits back in the day. 
One of the songs that he released in 1984 was called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. And there's just a couple of lines in there that really grabbed me. He says, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. Got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And that really speaks to me of people that do kick against the darkness, because I think there's this idea a lot of the time in Christian circles that God is in the habit of opening and closing doors. And I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying that there's not times where we feel an open door and we're free to move through that. And and that's the next phase of life that God opens up for us. But I think there's times that God says to us, here is a closed door, a closed door of injustice or a, a closed door that that really needs to be knocked down. I will equip you to do that, but I'm giving you the task of kicking that door down. There are sometimes we need to take that effort that it's not just as easy as going through life, just looking for open doors, seeing a closed one and walking away. Sometimes those closed doors are the doors that are trying to to keep us away from the evil that needs to be exposed. So there are times that we need to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. When we kick down those doors, when we kick at that darkness and we start to see it shatter and we see the light come through, that's really part of our job as those who follow Jesus. And I so appreciate you saying that because as you know, in, uh, well, in the world today, but particularly in the United States, we live in a pretty dark time over here. Uh, we have an awful lot of division. We have an awful lot of dissension. We cannot apparently have civil discourse anymore. And it's very concerning as a Christian to watch that happen. And it's within the church, unfortunately. So what I've tried to do with this particular series and live in which you're given is talk about the fact that we have the choice. We have choices. And we've talked to Bible scholars who have talked about who Jesus was. We have talked about the idea of the resurrection. We've talked about surrender. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about possibly having a truce in our church on the different sides. We've talked about what it means to have shalom. And so I have hopefully, hopefully presented a foundation of, yes, Easter's a great time. We get to wear beautiful clothes and hats, if anybody wears hats anymore, and we get to have wonderful celebrations. But what does that cross mean the rest of the time? And as I've tried to unpack that through the topics I just mentioned, I've had some wonderful guests who've helped me to see what it means to be a resurrected individual day after day, minute after minute. At this particular juncture, Rodney, I'm changing the tide. And I'm talking about social justice. I'm talking about kicking against the darkness. And we'll discuss that because I think it's it's very valuable. And everybody I've heard on your show has had some sort of difficulty that they are meeting and making it through and how they've done that and how they've done the kicking. And I would like to hear your take on why you think this is so important. You've just said, because we're Christians, but especially in the social justice areas, especially in the area that we are going to discuss in depth in your work against poverty. I think one of the things we should name right now 
is that social justice can be a loaded term. Yep. It shouldn't be, but it is, because as soon as we mention social justice, there are some Christians who say, oh, look, you're preaching a social gospel. You're going away from preaching the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. You're going away from talking about salvation and ensuring our beliefs and our understanding of the gospel, and you're just doing good works. And we know that good works don't save us. But what if social justice is part of what the scripture calls us to do? And I believe that it very much is. But that has to be done holistically so that when we are providing what is needed in a practical sense of of food, of health care, of shelter and those things, the basic essentials of life, then we also need to be sharing Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're actually dealing with people holistically. And I see right throughout scripture that we're called to do that. In fact, there's a number of times in scripture where this idea of what's the most important commandment, Jesus is asked, and he says, well, to, to throw everything you have at loving God. So it, it's, it's heart, mind, soul, it's, it's everything at loving God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, and, and we see Jesus saying that. And many people would say it's a distilling of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments have commandments about how we interact and relate to God, and then how we interact and relate with others. We also see it in the story of the Good Samaritan, where it's not actually Jesus saying those things, but he's saying, yeah, you're right. But where, where this lawyer comes up, and not a lawyer in the case of someone trying a, a, a case in court, but someone who's an expert in the religious law or in the, the Torah, and he comes up and he says, oh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, what, what's the law? How do you read it? And he says, well, to, to love God with everything, throw everything you have at loving God, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, yeah, you, you've, you've put it right. And again, this guy is distilling the, the Ten Commandments into how you interact with God, how you interact with people. But then Jesus goes on to challenge that and says, yeah, that's great, but now we need to tell a bit of a story because the lawyer says, oh, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Because he's trying to justify himself. The scripture actually says he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to see how thinly do I have to spread this net of neighborhood and still have eternal life. He's looking for a transaction. He's looking for, okay, uh, I've got to love my neighbor as myself, but tell me who my neighbor is. Is it just my own people group? Is it just the people I agree with? Is it just the people who I think, yeah, I can help them out? And Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan. He tells this parable and it's interesting, there's so many layers to it. There's this guy who's beaten by the side of the road. And, and this is a, a Jewish man beaten, left half dead. Jesus is particular in the way that he says he was left half dead, which says to us mm. he's lying there quite still. And anyone passing by might have thought, well, it's a dead body. No. Is, it a, is it a dead body or not? We're not sure, but they're completely still. Jesus says he's beaten and left half dead. Of course, the priest and the Levite go past. And, and it's almost like when I read that story, like Jesus is saying they were coming along on the side of the road where this beaten man is, and they cross to the other side of the road to get away, and off they go. And we all like to, to demonize those guys and say, how dare they? And yet we wonder what we would do in that situation. And then a Samaritan, someone from a different person group, comes along and the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. 
And yet this Samaritan, it says he went to him almost as if he's already on the other side of the road and he crossed the road to get to the man who is in trouble. And he, he does, first of all, he, he wraps up his wounds and then you would think, well, at least he's done that. But then he actually puts him on his own animal and takes him to the inn. And it's like, wow, he's, he's gone above and beyond there. But then he takes out two days wages, gives that to the innkeeper and says, look, your best place to look after this, this man, this beaten man, until he's healed. So here's two days wages. So not a huge amount, but certainly not insignificant out of his own pocket. He didn't need to do that. He doesn't know this man, but he chooses to do that because there's a need. Then he says, by the way, I'm a bit of a traveler. I'll be back here. So any extra expense I will pay for. Yeah. And so there's all these things coming together where he doesn't just say, oh, look, I'll, I'll do a little bit. He says, I will go above and beyond to this man that I do not know from a people group that hates me. I will do everything required to see this man healed. So he does all this and then he he goes on his way. He places him in the care of those people yeah. who are most able to, to care for him. And he goes on his way promising that he will continue to resource the healing until the healing is complete. Now, this blows the, the lawyer's mind because Jesus then says to him, so who do you think was the neighbor? And, and it's like the lawyer says, <laughs> oh, you got me there, Jesus. <laughs> it's the guy who actually, who wow. actually helped him. Yeah. And he says, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. Right. So there, there's this very clear instruction. And I don't believe it was just for that lawyer on that day. I believe it's for all of us to go and do likewise. And so I see in a world of pain that there's plenty of opportunity to, to actually go and do likewise. So who's our neighbor? Who is the person that we need to, to lovingly care for as we love ourselves? It is whoever is placed in our pathway. And that doesn't mean that it's just those that we encounter day to day. We, through media, through online and, and the different ways in which we encounter people these days, we know that there's a need. So we know that there is a need in Ukraine at the moment. Yep. We're not going to walk past the people in Ukraine, but we know that there's a need there and we have an opportunity to sow into that. And in so many other areas, we have the opportunity. And the interesting thing is, as I mentioned, something like Ukraine is we're not the best place people to help those in Ukraine because right. we're not on the ground there. So just like the, the Good Samaritan does, let's place those people that are in need in the care of the people that are most able to care for them. And that's the local churches in that area, the local agencies that are helping them. So we're able to resource them so that they can do the on the ground work. And I, I guess that's where I see things going is that we have the opportunity in so many ways. Mm -hmm. We're so rich in resources that we can actually be like that's the Good right. Samaritan and say, we'll continue to resource this until the healing is complete. And, you know, I love that. And it reminds me, and I've talked about this a little bit too, when my father was a World War II veteran and uh, he said he had a saying called when the going gets tough, the tough get creative. And if 
he were, I was in an interview with a, another friend of ours uh, several months ago, and he said, Laura, what would our parents be doing in this time in America when gas is so high and things are, you know, just escalating financially? And I said, well, I don't know what yours would have done, but my father would have been out in his little garden picking vegetables to distribute, and he'd have found a place for him. He would have gone to a gas station. And he would have bought someone a tank of gas. And to me, I see the same thing, Rodney. I see we have a blessed opportunity to show who Christ really is in this world. And as he told that story about the Good Samaritan, I imagine somebody wasn't real happy about it because he was talking about kicking against the darkness and that is not a popular place to be. Now, my show's not political, and I don't mean to make it political, but I just see us um, in the world and perhaps in America more so right now because I live here, so I don't know what's going on other places, and I haven't traveled out of this country for several years. But I can tell you that I see us as having lovely prayer emoji hands until the going really gets tough, and then they ball up into fists at what is being left off my plate. And it's it's really been kind of concerning to me. And well, not kind of, it's been very concerning. I've been very vocal about it in some areas. But I'm not criticizing those people as much as I'm saying I want to understand why? And I've invited several to my table here in my house, where we are right now, to try to figure out how can we, as a Christian community, help people when we have, like you said, so much, so much. We've been given so much, especially in, in many parts of America, certainly not in all. But it leads me into what your work is about. And I have listened, like I said, to several of your podcasts, many of them actually, and I try to catch them. And every single one of them has been such an inspiration to me because they are people doing exactly what you're saying. They're kicking that door. They're trying to make some headway in the darkness. In 2013, you began to work full time to help dismiss the darkness of childhood poverty. And you do it in a holistic way. Can you tell us about that, please? I work for Compassion Australia, which is part of Compassion that many people would have heard of, uh, often called Compassion International. You've probably heard in, in the US. So it's the same organisation just around the world. So we're 12 partner countries, such as uh, the US, Canada, Australia, UK, and, and others that are together resourcing the work in over 25 countries, our field countries. And you're right, it is holistically, because one of the things that comes out of that story of the Good Samaritan, or where Jesus actually shares, this is the greatest commandment, something that we miss when we talk about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, is we often take that as kind of a Sunday school lesson that means just be nice to other people. And yet, if we are to take that seriously, what, what are the ways in which we love ourselves? We make sure that we have food. We make sure that we have shelter. We make sure that we have health care. We make sure that we have healthy relationships. But we also, those of us who follow Jesus, ensure that we are connected to the true living God. 
because we know that that is essential for the hope that we have now to stretch into eternity, to be with Jesus for all time. We know how precious that is. Now, if we love ourselves in that way, how could we not love our neighbor in that way? So when we are loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, we do provide all those things, such as the healthcare, the, the food, the shelter, and all those things. But we also want to introduce them to the reason that we do that, which is Jesus Christ. And so that's the holistic nature. So compassion works in, in as I say, over 25 countries around the world, currently working with over 2 million children, and that then affects their families and their whole community. So there, there are millions of people that are being affected by Compassion's ministry, and yet we're not there to hold up Compassion's ministry. We're there to hold up what Jesus has called us to do. So we work through the local church, okay. uh, and one of, the, one of the things that I've loved when I've actually visited Compassion projects on the field is that it's just connected to the local church. So when I go there, I don't see a big sign saying compassion because we're not there to lift up the name of compassion. We're there to lift up the name of Jesus. Therefore, when I go and see compassion working in the field, what I see is a local church sign. And that's a witness to people in the area that says the local Jesus followers, the local Christian church are those who love and care for children and families in this area. So it's actually advancing the work of the church because we truly believe that God uses the expression of the local church to build his kingdom. We believe that in the field. We believe that in partner countries. And so that's the way that we work. So in the same way as that good Samaritan says, you know what, I'm not best placed to care for this broken man we say we're not best placed to care for children living in extreme poverty, but we know who is. The local church, the local Jesus followers who know what the issues are, they know what's going on. And so we say to them, we've seen this need, we're going to step in and we'll continue to resource that work until the healing is complete. And so when people sponsor a child through compassion, they're saying, I'm going to come alongside, I'm going to provide my physical resources of the money that it takes to sponsor a child. But more than that, we're going to be writing letters backwards and forwards. I'm going to be telling this child that they are a child of God. I'm going to be sharing scripture with them. I'm going to be telling them that they are loved in a world that says to them, you are not loved because poverty, we tend to understand as having a lack of stuff yeah. because we are so we are so obsessed with stuff in the Western world that we believe that poverty is a lack of stuff. And yet it's more than that. Poverty actually speaks to a child. Poverty says to a child, look around you. Everything's garbage. Mm. Everything's broken. And you are too. You are broken. You are a mess. And that's what poverty says. The lies of poverty speak deep to the heart of a child going beyond just you don't have a nice house, going beyond you don't have as much food as you'd like, going beyond oh, you don't get to visit a doctor, it says you are not enough. And so to break that takes more than just here, have some stuff, because it's already spoken to, to, to the heart of that child. We need to step in and say, you know what, we're going to provide this stuff, but we are going to connect you with a, uh, with a God who loves you so dearly that you will start to understand who you are. You know, it's been said um, that there are some people who talk about poverty in a very different way. They talk about it 
as a breakdown in four essential relationships. They say it's a breakdown first and foremost in our relationship with God. Then it's our relationship with ourselves, a relationship with others, and then the rest of creation. So there's four essential relationships. Now, when we start talking about poverty in that sense, let's think about the people in our own neighborhood. First and foremost, a breakdown in a relationship with God. We see that everywhere. A breakdown in relationship with ourselves. You see, I've already explained what the breakdown in relationship with ourselves is like. For children in poverty, it's I am worthless, I'm garbage. There was a survey done of people living in poverty uh, a few years back, and some of the things that came back were people like this woman saying, I feel like I'm garbage, it would be better if I'm not here, because poverty has spoken that to her. So that's a breakdown in relationship with self. In the Western world, so often the breakdown in relationship with self is I am entitled. Everything needs to come to me. I'm, I'm amazing. Be the best you can be because you're worth it just because. Well, there's no reason behind that. And that's our sense of, of self. You know what? We can't get a correct sense of self unless we get a correct relationship with God who then informs us, you know what? Yes, you are a sinner. You are someone who has been broken by sin. And yet I see you as highly valuable. And therefore we understand, you know what? I am so much better than I ever imagined, and I'm so much worse than I ever imagined, (laughs) but I get the balance right because I know who I am in Christ, and who I am in Christ is his. He values me so much only through the death of his son, not through anything I've done, not through work so that anyone can boast, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am who I am. That informs my relationship with myself. It also starts informing relationship with others. I mentioned that woman in poverty who said, I'm worthless, no one needs me, I'm like garbage, everyone wants to get rid of me. That means she believes that the other people in relationship with her don't care for her and there's a breakdown. In the West, so often, we see so many divorces, breakdown in relationship. You've been talking about people at loggerheads. There's breakdown in relationship there. Even within our churches, we see... People are at each other's throat. There's a breakdown in relationship there that only a true relationship with God and ourselves is going to heal. And then the rest of creation, of course, the way that we manage and steward what God has given us, our environment and the things around us. There's breakdown there. So we're talking about a bigger picture of poverty. So we see poverty in our own world as well as in developing worlds where we're talking mainly economic poverty. So we need to to sort of look at that to start with. But if we're going to deal with the sort of poverty that we see in the developing world, that economic poverty, but also the poverty that speaks to the heart, then it needs to be holistic in repairing relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the rest of creation. Thank you. That is a wonderful explanation of your way of kicking against the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And I know that if people listen to your podcast, and we're going to tell them, and it'll be in the show notes, how they can listen into your podcast. They're going to hear 
other stories of people who have done this very same thing in their lives. Maybe it's with cancer. Maybe it's with trying to reverse what people are seeing right now as religiosity and gospel. And maybe it's in trying to get out of abusive relationships. But you're right. We have to go purposefully with intention into the idea that what we're doing, the work we're doing, first and foremost, reflects Jesus Christ. And I heard you say on another podcast that that is about bringing God's kingdom here. That's our peace in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So Rodney, if people want to listen to Bleeding Daylight, how are they going to do that? The easiest way is just go to bleedingdaylight.net. That's the easiest place to go. Bleedingdaylight.net is the place that they'll find all the episodes that have been released so far. Guys, I really encourage you to do this. And I want to thank you again for this wonderful interview. Thank you, Rodney. It's been wonderful being with you. Thank you. I've really appreciated the opportunity. And friends, next time on Living What You're Given, I'm going to bring a guest. You've seen her before. You've heard her before. Her name's Patricia Raybon. And she is kicking against the darkness of racism in the United States of America. She wrote a book called All That Is Secret, and that is about the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, in Denver and Colorado in the 1920s. She's drawing the parallels, and she's talking about what we saw then, what was ignored, what we're seeing now. Anyway, I pray that you will check out Rodney's wonderful podcast and his wonderful, wonderful organization called Compassion International. In the meantime, if you want to reach out to me, I'm Laura Paget at laurallpaget.com. And my information as well as Stephen Ray's and Rodney's will be in the show notes. So please, Join us next time to hear Patricia. And until then, remember, you always have the choice of the way you see things, of the way you kick against darkness, and the way you walk your faith. Sometimes it's just a matter of trying to figure out what you need to know. And then you can say, hmm, if I only knew. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye.